Hi guys, it's me, your host, Lindsay Pinchuk. On today's episode, you're going to hear from a new founder. Her company is less than a couple of years old. As you'll hear Amy Cohn describe, starting a business is hard work, but if you have the right mindset and tools, your journey will be that much easier. So in case you missed it, grab my five tips and top tools for starting your business and take the guessing out of where to begin. Grab the document. It's totally free through the link in my show notes. And now on to the show. I'm glad that I took a chance and reached out to Amy Cohn to be on today's episode. You see, I was pitched by a PR person for her to be a guest. However, the pitch that was sent to me, it was addressed to a different podcast. And I was annoyed, but I was also fascinated with Amy's story. And so I reached out to her on my own through LinkedIn. And while I shared the snafu with her, I also asked her if she would come and be a guest on the show, and she gladly obliged. Amy Cohn, founder of Joy Days, is a media industry veteran, previously the head of product at the Oprah Winfrey Network and executive director at Sony Pictures. Amy decided to enter the food industry when she was unexpectedly diagnosed with colon cancer in 2020. After her diagnosis, Amy became increasingly aware of the foods that she was putting into her body. She realized that most of the snack products dominating grocery store shelves were more marketing healthy, but not made or even good for actual medical or health concerns. I am so excited for you to hear this journey and this story and how far Amy has come in such a short time. So come on in and meet my guest today, Amy Cohn, founder of Joy Days. Dear Founder, I'm your host, Lindsay Pinchuk. At 30 years old, I founded my first company with just $500, building it to reach 3 million people and generate seven figures in revenue for six years straight, all before I sold it. A decade later, I exited with one goal, to support other women in business through their own entrepreneurship journeys. As an entrepreneur, you wear every hat. You burn the midnight oil, and most of all, you pour your heart and soul into everything you do. But there's no blueprint for success. Every week on Dear Founder, you'll get to sit in as I pick the brain of some of my closest female founder contacts. Save yourself time, money, and hassle listening to the lessons of those who have already done it. You'll also have the chance to hear about my own founder journey, how I built my first company, and now how I'm building my second, as I share solo episodes filled with actionable lessons and steps that you can apply to your business immediately. Make sure to subscribe now so that we can build our businesses together each and every week. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. I am very excited about today's guest because I think her product is amazing, but also because the way I connected with her was really interesting. I actually was pitched for her to be on the podcast, and it was a bad pitch. The PR person made a mistake, and pitched me as someone else. And so I reached out directly to the founder because I think her product is amazing and I wanted to hear her story and I wanted to get her on the show. And it was kind of a chance because when you call someone out on making a mistake, you never really know how they're going to react, but this just goes to show. So Amy Cohn, who is the founder and CEO of Joy Days is here. And I'm so excited for her to talk about her story and really to talk about her product because it is really an interesting, interesting brand. So Amy, welcome to Dear Founder. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you just to like cut through noise and reach out and be supportive and identify things and just be very 
direct. It's, it's even more meaningful when somebody does that. And, um, you know, so I just want to say thank you. I'm, I'm really honored to be on here. I'm so glad that you're here. And like I told you before we got on, um, Joy Days really piqued my interest because I have a few friends who have kids with type 1 diabetes, and I know that this is a product that they can eat and they can enjoy. And I would really love for you to start us off by sharing your story and telling us a little bit about your product. Yeah. Um, So Joy Days was created first off of seeing a gap in the market of foods that were created initially for medical and health concerns, but were made for everyone. So for everyone to consume, but starting off instead of from, I'm going to create a general better for you, and then I'm going to start marketing it to, you know, someone with diabetes. We really started off with thinking about, um, you know, what is out there and, you know, how do you start creating it? So Joy Days are blood sugar friendly snacks in a nutshell. It's a modern brand. They're blood sugar friendly. And we created them with dietitians, um, a chef from Noma, and one of our advisors is the former president of the American Diabetes Association. And because we are blood sugar friendly, you know, we have the right balance of fiber, protein, low sugar, low carb, and um, to really create something that is, is really missing in the market. And when you look at what's on the go for anyone that needs to balance their blood sugar, it's really glucerna, which is medicinal <coughs> and dated. Um, and I say otherizing because it's really embarrassing when you have a chronic condition and, you know, that sits on your desk and it screams to the world that that's who you are and it's not your identity. So we polled people with diabetes and asked, what do they miss most? And the first answer was cookie. So that's our first product. Um, how this even, how I even came about to getting here is my background is actually in tech. Um, I was an executive in media and tech and was really focused on, you know, things in digital innovation. So I was at Disney. I created their first social network. I was head of product at Oprah. So everything about living your best life, creating online book clubs and, and mobile apps. And then I ran, um, emerging platforms, global platforms at Sony. So I was over about 60 different apps looking at how do we create different businesses online uh, with the content that we had. Um, then I segued, I've always mentored a lot of startups and have been in a lot of different accelerators, helping different founders and jumped into startup world more in the NFT space. So I was the head of marketing at a company that created the term NFT. So you're like, how did you get into food? <laughs> and <laughs> the reason is, is three years ago, I went through colon cancer and it was out of the blue. It was at the beginning of the pandemic, very unexpected. And fortunately, I'm getting to the other side of it, not fully, but um, it really you know, made me see a lot of different things when you encounter, when you have a chronic condition or dealing with some sort of illness and seeing what's out there. And more importantly, the, the reason for Joy Days being the modern looking brand for everyone was exactly what I said about being otherized. The stuff that was marketed to me for cancer was somebody's idea of what I look like. You know, it was a 
wearing a scarf around your head and looking out the window sadly or whatever. And it was just really weird. And you just felt pigeonholed and labeled. And it's really just something you're going through. And I need to eat in a way that is blood sugar balanced because that helps prevent reoccurrence of cancer. One of the many things that help prevent reoccurrence, I should say. But it's really important. And then blood sugar imbalances are related to so many things. And diabetes is obviously the most predominant one. And the U.S. is 51% have diabetes or pre-diabetes. The majority of that is actually pre-diabetes type 2. And, you know, like I said, when you go out there and you see what's on the market for it, we have this huge audience that really hasn't been catered to, an entire food industry that has really started from, you know, either creating one thing better for you and then marketing to a group that's saying it's, you know, it's tailored for them, but not necessarily. And, you know, that was what was really, I think, how this all how this all got started. So. so first and foremost, I'm so glad you're okay and moving toward the other side of your diagnosis and your recovery. So I'm Yeah, I'm, really I'm happy by the way, you. anyone reach out. If anyone people reach out all the time with questions, I am happy, more than happy to talk to anybody who, you know, has questions on how did you discover it or whatever. So, um like I say, I feel like I'm a walking billboard because I got it early enough. So, so Joy Days is not an old brand. I mean, it's a very young, young, young brand. I mean, this yeah. started within the last two years, correct? Okay. We so launched how a year you... ago. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> how did you, like, how did you know how to do this? Like, granted, you've created brands and you're yeah. clearly a genius in marketing given really. the many amazing companies you've worked for, but marketing a brand and creating a brand in a business are two different things. So like, this is a product. This isn't, you know, this isn't marketing. So how did you know how to create this product? I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. First off, I have to give, I have deep respect for anyone in physical goods because CPG, I think I underestimated how difficult it is. So for every founder that's in that, I just applaud because it is, you know, with tech, you can solve everything with your computer. With CPG, there are thousands of things out of your hands that you need to solve for. So how this really, you know, came to be is you really need to seek out who are the experts and who do you start to talk to? And I've always been fairly resourceful. Like there's certain things I'm not good at, but one of the things I am good at is, is figuring out without a lot of resources and being, um, you know, fairly creative with it. And so I was like, who are the people? I know I want this to be a commercial brand. I know we want to create this from this. And so you start talking to experts. So I asked for an intro to one of my advisors who's now on my board and um, a guy named Pat Turpin, who was the founder of Pop Chips. And so I asked for somebody for an intro that knew him. And having somebody like that all of a sudden willing to give their time and interest to you is transformative. And usually 
If you ask people, it just depends on who it is. This means I got a quick lesson of somebody because I identified his product as something that came in as a better for you at a time when there really wasn't in chips and created a very large brand, but in a very commercial way and in a successful way. So he enabled us to find, okay, you need to start from, you need to find the right people for R&D. Help me identify this team who had worked at Nabisco and created grandma's cookies because I was creating a cookie. And then I reached out to friend of a friend and I think working at Oprah, found somebody that knew Dr. Francine Kaufman, who was a former president of American Diabetes Association, but more importantly, is the leading amazing woman, living legend in diabetes and the top pediatric endocrinologist in the U.S., she is amazing. And she is one of those that is a true mensch is she, I, I can't say that woman still does so many things and gives a lot of things to help, you know, the community people who are underserved and I have her for advice. So that's really like how it, it really, really got started. And then understanding the market, doing the research, I think having a tech back, background and being very nerdy on a lot of this was like, you really dive in <laughs> to the data and research and figure it out. Um, so I think it was a different, you know, there was a lot of learning curves I had too, but then a lot of different advantages from coming from the background because product development online is kind of similar is you need to really understand the market, prioritize your features and build that out and understand the consumer and figure out what would build a community. Hi guys, it's me, Lindsay Pinchuk, host and founder of the Dear Found Her podcast. And before we get into today's episode, I have some exciting news. Found Her Fridays, our live networking events for female founders are back for 2024. We kicked off in Chicago last week and virtually the week before. All of our participants made some incredible connections and told me that they have so many amazing new followers to engage with on Instagram from our event online and our one in person last week. We'll be expanding outside of Chicago this year. I honestly can't wait to share more. Our events will be free, but you'll have to RSVP. So make sure that you get on our list so that you can be the first to know when registration goes live. Space is limited. I can't wait to meet you. Now on to our show. How long was it from conception to shelf. So conception, it took us about a, a year to get this formula right. That was the other eye-opening thing. I had no idea how long these things take. Is, you know, you if you think about it, there's millions, billions of ingredients out there in the world. Which ones do you choose to start working with? What are your guardrails? Our guardrails were nutrition. And then working with experts who understood baking and then understood like commercialization of that. So usually from with food, you go from benchtop to commercialization, which means you have to iterate on the benchtop, which is basically either somebody in their kitchen. In this case, we also had a chef and just to start from, you know, tinkering um, to get it to where you kind of think it's, it's right. It's where you want to taste it. It's the kind of the cookie. And our other guardrail was like, we want to mimic, we want to get as close to a chewy chips ahoy that we can, but no sugar and natural, natural things in there and low glycemic ingredients. 
So when you have that, you know, you have to pick a lane and people always ask like, are you gluten-free? And I'm like, well, that's a lane that we couldn't yet go down because we needed to figure out nuances of low glycemic ingredients and low sugar and then baking that is really, really difficult. So it's like, you can't be all things. And we knew that this consumer, it was more important to have the low glycemic aspects of it and fiber and inulin and protein and all of those things that help balance your blood sugar, which usually gluten-free doesn't. So a year and then to on shelf, I've also discovered retail takes a really long time. The lead times, it's like creating a B2B business. And the lead times here with resets and reviews, and if you miss one review, then you, you're pushed back a year. Um, we had our eyes set on certain commercial retailers that we started talking to in the beginning. And so I did have a heads up when I, I went to the American Diabetes Dietitian Conference. It was before we launched, but I had samples. So I was able to take those two dietitians and then... Um, you know, a re like there was different people in diabetes there. And so ended up before we launched talking to Walmart, that's taken a year and now we're on the Walmart shelf in the diabetes aisle. However, that is a test. We have a very different skew, so it won't hurt us in grocery, but we're also in major grocery stores or grocery stores we love, we should say central market in Texas, Foxtrot giant on the East coast and people who are really willing to take a chance on new brands and start to understand trends and certain retailers really get that. But the lead time on that is long and it's very different from being a D to C brand, which you can be really agile um, and quick with. So what I love about your story and what you just explained is just like the thought process that went into getting your product into the right hands. And I think it's really important to point that out because when you do have a product, people have to try it. They have to sample it. That's a really big part of this, no matter what the actual physical product is. And you having the insight and the foresight to take the product to the the conference with the nutritionists and the um, dietitians, that is a really, that was probably a very pivotal moment for you guys. And I, I bring that up because anyone who is listening, if you are looking to get a product out there, you need to think about where your community is. And I say this all the time. You need to think about where they are and you need to meet them there and get them to try and to talk about and to create buzz. And that will set you up for success when you are ready to roll out. Right? Hands down, for sure. And I will say, I go back to reaching out to experts first. Because we wouldn't have even known about that conference had it not been for Dr. Kaufman. She told me about it and she's like, this is where the majority, this is where the authorities go. This is where you're going to get best feedback. And a lot of people are going to the food conferences, which are great and nutrition, but we were the only food brand at this conference where it was filled with like CGM monitors, but we got feedback from dietitians and they loved because we were created with it. They'd turn it around and look at the nutritionals and you got a stamp of approval. So this is where it's, it is still important to identify who are the experts there and talk to them first and then start to formulate you your saying. thing. Yeah. Did you raise capital? Yes. 
And how was that process? And when was that process? And like, when did you know you like, was it right away? Where like, how did that work? It was right away. Um, we are venture backed and we are probably because I've also learned that CPG is capital intensive. And as much as we are very lean, very, very lean and to keep creative, um, you are just, you know, it, it is a different game once you get into retail and trade spend and all of that. So, you know, the raise is, you know, I think it's an interesting market for CPG in particular. I think a lot of people don't necessarily know where that's going to go, but the advantage we had in going out to raise was this differentiation is essentially we are food as medicine and there is a lot of things that we can do with that. And so, you know, some of the, I'd, I'd mentioned I was a mentor to different tech companies, but some of those were in health tech. And so I, I understood at least some of the B2B and go to markets there of getting into those things. And so there was a way to apply a lot of that with CPG. And so we're, we're also doing a lot of things in that area and trying to test it. So the point with going out to raise is we weren't just a, you know, we're not a cookie company. It's like, we are really thinking differently. We started off differently by really coming in from a lens with dietitians and experts to create something that was unique in the market, but it also opens up a lot of different ways for us to go and create this business. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. Let's talk a little bit about your marketing because, I mean, you are also reaching a very specific person, at least for your primary consumer. I mean, you have a product that anyone can enjoy, but it's really talking to the right customer first to get them to buy into it and to enjoy it first, and then potentially have other people try it and say, oh, this is delicious. Like I could eat this too. So what has been your process for marketing and what has worked for you in terms of getting the word out? I mean, you are so new and you are on so many shelves. We are so new. Um, I think that is one of the biggest challenges for any business is product market fit. You may have an idea of what you set out to and how do you how are you agile enough to either change it or how do you test in lightweight ways. So when this first started, you know, and including in my pitch, is I had this concentric circles of the consumer targets. And our muse was somebody in the middle, which was diabetes. 
So I always say that's our muse, but may not be our core customer. And outside of that circle was moms who there's not a lot of snacks out there. They're very high in sugar. There's, you know, there's a lot of studies about reducing 20% of sugar in packaged foods will reduce in 2.4 million deaths related to cardiovascular disease, cancer, and diabetes. Like it's a legit study. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's an opportunity. And also being a mom myself, it's like the only things out there that are grab and go that they end up liking are like Z bars. But you look at the nutritionals and you're like, oh, it's it's kind of better than at least that granola bar, you know. And so seeing that, I made sure that our taste testers were kids in the beginning because I was like, even with that kid with type 1 in the <coughs> beginning, type 1 diabetes, is how – and we've gotten this feedback. Like this is my favorite story was a kid with type one was so excited to have this in their lunchbox and they could share it with their friends and their friend could have it in their lunchbox too, because it was made for everyone. So they didn't feel otherized or embarrassed. And I'm like, that's the reason we're doing this. So that was the best outcome you could have ever had. So that's where that broadens it out into a very different consumer set, because it was like, if we're just targeted on that alone, like, it's great. And usually that's how you always start a community. But we need to make sure like the product does not say diabetes on it. Because people with diabetes are well, so actually, concerned. I just wrote that down. My next thing that I wanted to ask you is about your branding because it is very all encompassing. And I know that that was with purpose. It was very deliberate. It was a very thought through. Um, you know, one thing is, and the name is really literal, first of all, and a lot of it's because the one thing sometimes that can bring you joy in life is food. And then when that yeah. tastes like you want it to taste, it scratches an itch and it's healthy for you and you feel better. It's like joy. So that was really just leaning into that literally. Um, and I was surprised we got the trademark for it, but we did and then the second piece of the branding was, I was like, I want this to, the colors need to bring joy. They need to be something that pops on shelf, something that you would look at and they're just like joyful colors. And then the brand and simplicity. Then the other thing around, you know, how the communication hierarchy on it is first off, I wanted the primary piece of that to be the brand logo and the word mark. So it, like you could understand it, you know what it stands for, because I knew we needed to build something around the name of this brand around, you know, Hey, we will always meet your needs around blood sugar friendly foods, whatever they are. And so the second piece of that communication hierarchy was we knew the value propositions for somebody with diabetes is firstly look at sugar. And so that on that part of the package is we have three grams of sugar for the whole pack and that's on the front. So no one has to turn it over. And then the third tertiary piece of that too is net carb and fiber. And that's on the lower part of the packaging. Um, a lot of people are always used to turning around and looking at the nutritionals, you know, and like I said, going to that diabetes conference, like you will see every dietitian is like, Whoosh! And they're like, okay, right ratio of fiber, right ratio, you know, fiber to, to carb, all of that. And so that's really where, you know, the thought process came in through. And then actually talking with a ton of people, 
Um, we didn't put low glycemic on the front um, because it also, even someone with diabetes, they tend not to, it's fine. It, it's not as important because they're so used to looking at that. And, you know, and you have just a small placements for copy on <laughs> this thing. So it's like, which one's going to work? Um, and then more importantly, because we wanted this brand for everyone, we didn't put diabetes on it. So it doesn't, um, you know, it's like, so it's not made specifically. So it's, it's almost like, kind of like, well, but it's almost kind of like you are coming in through the door, like the back door, right? Like you're, you're telling the people in the diabetic industry that this is important for them to know about and that they can eat this, but you are marketing big picture to everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think that this is like such a really cool case study. I'm like really excited to see like where this goes as you move forward, because it is, it's really awesome how you built this. I mean, really and truly. Thank you. Thank you. It's been it's interesting. Very thoughtful. Well, but once again, you are thoughtful, but I think you have to be prepared to switch tack. Like totally. it's, it's a constant thing and you are, you know, what messaging and, you know, we have a trademark on life sweeter without the spikes. Cause I was like, Oh, this is perfect. And it conveys, but then some people think, Oh, they think it's like just a pure sweet sugary treat. Um, then what's interesting for us too, with all of the new news coming out, not new news too, but with the rise of the food industry being really concerned about the Ozempic effect. And, you know, is this going to harm healthy foods? Is this going to, you know, reduce? But, you know, I think it's going to be the start of healthier foods, mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, people eating, because once you've already invested that money and time and, um, you know, you want to put in something healthy, but hopefully there's an understanding too of the, you know, metabolic health, blood sugar balance is somebody that, you know, with somebody with diabetes, it's always been important, but truthfully, it's, it's the way most people should eat, you know, and that can mean you can still be vegan. You can still be this too, but it's not a fad diet. And, you know, our challenge here is straddling, like, we don't want to be necessarily promoting diet culture either. Like, so how do you straddle right. something that's fiber, you know, <clears throat> playing around with the, you know, it's, it's, we have the right fiber actually that can mimic the GLP-1 hormone in your body. All that is, truthfully, is just simply, yes, it's resistant fiber that helps satiate you and helps slow down your blood sugar. So you don't get a spike. You can focus, you feel better and you're not as hungry. So it's a pretty simple thing, but you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, this is what, because we started out with dietitians without even thinking that piece of it. And now with, you know, the news on Ozempic and understanding GLP one fiber, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think it's going to be another interesting thing for us to, navigate. What's been the biggest hurdle? Oh. <laughs> uh, manufacturing logistics, hands down. You know, I talked about that benchtop to commercialization. The hardest thing is getting the quality of your product commercialized. Because if you switch manufacturers, this means you need to restart everything at that new bakery. 
And it seems like it's so easy, you know, because in your kitchen, it's like, well, you just bake it at this temperature and you follow these instructions and it's a go. It is very, very different with commercialization because you're dealing with many different factors here. You know, it's like the different bake times on ovens. Like we had one batch that came out too dry and, but you've already ordered all of your ingredients, like in a thousand pounds of chocolate chips and those already baked out. And now you have retailers wanting you to be on shelf. Otherwise you'll get kicked out. Do you push out that dry batch? <laughs> you know, what do you do? Um, right. Quality control when there's so many touch points and last mile touch points to your brand that are reliant on people that I don't think a lot of people really think about, but are truly the gatekeepers of each brand. And you have to think about who your team is and who you work with in a manufacturing or 3PL way. So this means the manufacturers, your product, the last mile there are the people on the floor in the factory. They're the people actually monitoring the quality control, measuring your ingredients, packaging them up. If that package is done incorrectly too, those are the people that are, you can do that all day long, but if they're not executing on that correctly or invested, or if there's turnover in that manufacturer because they're in a space that they just can't hire. And so they're switching out and you don't really have that knowledge transfer. That is a big point of failure. And then the same with the point of failure on three PLs is it's the same thing. You have people who are in the warehouse, they are sending out your product. We've had at a different warehouse, which was a disaster, sending out the wrong product. Someone ordered chocolate chip and they sent a whole case of peanut butter or they sent expired product that we were about to, you know, donate and give away. And it was just somebody, it was a result of turnover and people on the floor not having the education and relying on a team to do that. And so those to me are what's interesting about CPG, but also enlightening is that those are really your points, major points of failure, but then really the last mile for your brand. What's next for you guys? New products. Um, like I said, we've not set out to be a cookie company. We really want to develop a portfolio of products that are, you know, gear it really <coughs> vertical here is first blood sugar friendly foods. What are interesting, what are indulgent, um, and healthy, because that's the that's the thing you usually miss. Um the next I think is you know, how do we create something much bigger to where we can be like a, a PNG for, you know, medical verticals and concerns around that? You know, what is the evolution of food as medicine? And, you know, you go back to the larger gatekeepers in CPG and the people who have the distribution, you know, it's like who's really solving for these, you know, areas that we really need, but in a much larger way. So. If you have done what you've done in two years, I can't, I can't imagine that that's not going to happen. I mean, really, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I, like it's no, I mean, like you have really turned this on. And so I want to wrap this up with my last question, which is the question I ask everyone. And that is what are three actionable steps that you would give to a new female founder and tell them you have to make sure you're doing these things? Awesome. One, be ruthless about your time period. 
It is the hardest thing to manage. You have a lot of different people who want your time or more importantly, give you input. And I've found a lot of mansplainers. Um, I was shocked by that. I think once you put on a founder hat as a female, and it's not to necessarily like stereotype it, but I have now, I mean, I have a long background. I am not a spring chicken. And I have, I've been shocked at the people who do that. So one is be ruthless about your time. And that includes not just focus, everything, your hours need to be focused on creating value, but also more importantly, the energy of the people around you is also a time, you know, is people who believe in you, people who give you that energy because time and energy is the, are the biggest assets you have in creating a business period. Two, don't get hot, caught up into like all the hustle culture of like people who are like, I wake up and I meditate for, you know, 15 minutes, you know, and I do this or whatever. Usually those people, you know, for most women, your biggest value creation years are usually coincide with your childbearing years as well. Like, and so that kind of balance makes you start to feel inadequate and forget about child, like having kids, anyone just like find a little way to do find moments of joy, tiny ones and feel that's okay. Because otherwise you're going to start negative thinking and feeling inadequate. And that's really huge because you are probably not going to be hundred percent in every area period. <laughs> it's just like, there's just no way. It's just, you're not crushing it. It's like that kind of term. Um, and I think third is be unapologetic about the culture you want to create and the people you want and the people you hire. Like, it's actually really important. I think no one ever regrets letting someone go sooner but they always regret letting go someone later and dealing with whatever wasn't either a right fit of a person or a right fit culturally, you know? And so that, that bleeds into time. But I think as women, we're often like, you kind of like, okay, well, I have this and I don't, uh, you, you try to figure out ways to get around it. But the re reality is, it's like, that's not what you want. That is not what the culture you want to create. You may have a fast culture. You may have, a new assholes culture. You may have mm. these kind of things too. And be unapologetic about it. Amy Cohn, founder and CEO of Joy Days. Thank you so much for being here. You know, this has really been um, you sharing your story. Your story is the epitome of how to start a, your 2.0, really and truly. And we talk about 2.0s here a lot. But yeah you know, you took your past experience, you asked for help and you made it happen and you made it happen quickly. And oftentimes our 2.0s do happen faster than the 1.0s because we take what we have learned the first time around and apply it the second time around. So thank you for sharing your story with us. This has been amazing to hear and I can't wait to see where Joy Days goes. Thank you. And thank you for just lifting up so many of us. I really appreciate it so much. It's, it's so important. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Amy's story is really amazing. And I can't wait to see what she does next. I know that this is going to be far beyond just a cookie brand. 
In case you missed it, we'll be closing out every episode this year with our number one takeaway from our conversation. So today's takeaway, look to outside organizations and governing bodies in your industry or niche when you're launching a new brand or product. You really want to ask the experts and ask them about the target consumer and everything that there is to know about them and the industry so that you can meet that target customer where they are. The fact that Amy took Joy Days to the American Diabetes Dietitian Conference was a game changer for her, and it put her on the shelves at Walmart before she even launched her company. Thank you so much to Amy for being here today, and thank you to all of you for listening. We've been getting so much love for season three. Berlan recently shared on Apple Podcasts, quote, I love this show so much. Not only are the stories so inspiring, but Lindsay gives such practical advice and actionable ideas in each episode that I've been able to walk away and apply them to my own business immediately. Thank you for these conversations. Well, thank you, Berlan, for that glowing review. I am so glad to hear that you loved your founder as much as you do. If you liked today's conversation, I would love it if you left a five-star rating or a review so that others can find this conversation. That is how others find us on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Dear Founder or click the link in the show notes and leave a review wherever it is that you listen. And if you know someone who we should meet, send them our Meet a Founder link in our show notes. We'll introduce them to our community on our social media and our website later this year. But for now, I want to thank you for listening and thank you for being here. We couldn't do this without all of you. Have a great rest of the week and we will see you on Tuesday. 